Do I have to spell it out for you? We have a payload to deliver to the heart of our nearest star. We're delivering that payload because that star is dying. And if it dies, we die. Everything dies. So that is our mission. There is nothing, literally, nothing more important than completing our mission. End of story. Hello and welcome. Welcome and hello. This is Wait, You Haven't Seen? It's a show where we talk about movies, and specifically, we talk about a movie at least one of us has never seen before. I'm your host, Travis, a.k.a. TV's Travis. This is episode number 153, and my guest this week is Vincent Minucci, and we're talking about Sunshine, because you've never seen that before. I had not. No, this was a gaping hole in my uh, movie nerddom. So you were familiar with the movie, you just hadn't seen it. So this is wild. I was barely familiar. I mean, I knew I knew of it. Mm-hmm. Knew what it was. I knew it was a sci-fi movie. Okay. I knew that it starred Killian Murphy. Mm-hmm. I knew it was a Danny Boyle film. That was it. <laughs> I somehow I didn't I've never even seen a trailer for wow. this movie. And it, I am so glad that that's the case. I mean, I went into, honestly, I went into this knowing nothing except for the box art, like the mm-hmm. the Killian Murphy cover yeah. art. Literally, that was it. And honestly, I feel like with a Danny Boyle movie, that is almost the best way to go into it. Whether it's some of his less weird stuff, like a Slumdog Millionaire or or, or whatnot, weird, yes. or his, like, just out there. I, I watched Train Spotting for the first time last week, knowing Ewan McGregor was in it and Johnny Lee Miller and that it was Danny Boyle, but, like, I, I knew bits and pieces of that one, so maybe a little more than you knew about Sunshine, but, like, I remember seeing The Beach, uh, actually in theaters, believe it or not, and all I knew about that was Leonardo DiCaprio was in it, and I wasn't prepared, and I'm glad because that was an experience unto itself um, that one day I'm going to get somebody on and talk about the beach. Um, but, yeah, that, so that's cool. So you didn't, you didn't know, like, that it had to do with restarting the sun or any of that kind of Nothing. sci-fi end of it at all. Zero. Zero. I had no, I had no context to the name. <laughs> Nothing. And wow. I, I'm so glad. I am so, so glad. The only, it's not even an excuse. The only reason I think for me never having seen this movie is that my, my, my first child, my daughter, was, was born in 2007. That would be a and, legitimate reason. <laughs> yeah. And my, my wife's pregnancy was awful with her. Mm. Like just really, really bad. It was a really bad pregnancy. Um, she was sick from... Honestly, minute one mm. of getting pregnant, and uh, our daughter's born December twentieth of '07. So it was, I mean, literally, you know, eighty percent of the year <laughs> was yeah. spent um, with my wife being viciously sick, and you know, we stopped entirely going to the movies at that point. And '07, it, it, yeah, I mean, there was no streaming really at that point at all. I mean, there really was nothing. Yeah, barely. YouTube, ne- yeah. YouTube existed, but it was in its like toddler stage. 
It wasn't exactly. quite its infancy, but we didn't have we didn't yeah. have the streaming libraries of the Netflixes and Hulus, none of that yet. Um, uh-uh. They some of them existed, but not to the extent that they do now, for sure. Right. And right, you know, the, I mean, life gets in the way, life happens, and and changes things totally. And then it's one of those things where it gets kind of out of sight, out of mind, right? You don't think about it for a while, and it doesn't come up again. And this was a this was a well received movie um from by critics uh for the most part it's got a uh, a 7.2 rating on IMDb it's right around that 65 to 75% kind of rotten tomatoes range um so it wasn't a bad movie but it wasn't like knocking the doors off everything it wasn't a huge blockbuster um it actually didn't have a huge worldwide gross i don't know that it lasted very long in theaters some of that had to do with it was a fox searchlight it wasn't um Fox proper, and so the marketing was a lot less for it, and I don't think they quite knew how to market it either, because this is an interesting kind of movie. It's very much a Danny Boyle movie, but it's him doing sci-fi, and kind of sci-fi for the first time. He had done 28 Days Later at this point, um, but this was a different take, and he was... He's gone on saying that, you know, big influences for him were 2001 A Space Odyssey and uh, 1970s version of Solaris and Alien. Um, And you can see a lot of that, right? This is, this movie is, yeah, like this movie is science fiction. It is not uh, an action movie with a sci-fi veneer on it. It It's not a space opera. It is, it is a sci-fi movie. It's a very small um, number of people in the cast, but oh boy, is it a hell of a cast, um, oh yeah, and yeah. so it's a small film in that aspect, right? Like, there's not a ton of people. There's not a. It all takes place on this ship um, that is making its way to the sun with a huge payload to try and basically jumpstart it. They're, they sort of hand wave over like the science of exactly what's happening to the sun. They never totally say. They just say that it's dying, um, and they've got to go start it back up because the Earth is getting cold. Um, they did have uh, an actual CERN um, science uh, advisor. So they had somebody from CERN that was the science advisor for this film that kind of helped them out. Um, and Alex Garland wrote this, who's done some amazing writing too. We'll talk about him in a bit. But I like the fact that they did that because, well, no, not necessarily all of the science is perfect. It's definitely got, you know, Hollywood movie thing going on. Like it's better, it's more, it feels more real. Um, and having somebody from like a an institute like CERN that's there that's like no 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 this is it would be more like this or try, trying to make those those things I, I I like when a movie does that and I like a sci-fi movie that tries to feel like it could exist in our universe absolutely and I think one of the strengths of the movie of the story of the plot is that they didn't try to overexplain it they didn't mm-hmm. try to give. You know, this is what we're doing because yeah, at the or at the at the sun's core, the temperature has dropped to such a degree, and so we're going to drop a payload that's a mixture of this gas. Just shut up. Just stop. <laughs> stop with that. Every time any movie has tried to over-explain, it has killed the movie almost instantly. You know, I, this I don't I can't remember if this came up the last time. Um, it only would have come up just because I was complaining about this particular trope that drives me crazy. But when you, uh, big one in, in the matrix, 
when you say, oh, we're going to use an EMP. That's an electromagnetic pulse. Mm. We know what a freaking EMP is. Stop. Like, don't explain what an EMP Everybody knows what an EMP is. Just stop. I, I'm with you on that. However, I will say this. That is screenwriting 101 is assume your audience doesn't know anything and you have to show or explain what's going on. That's the reason Absolutely. why I remember Absolutely. Kevin Smith talking about that. And there's a shot in Dogma where um, Jason Lee's character has his little, his little mini speech about central air conditioning. And he's standing mm-hmm. in front of an air conditioning vent. And then they just do a shot of the AC vent. And there are a couple of uh, ribbons tied onto that that are fluttering. And he's, right. like, he's like, you know, you, you do that because otherwise the audience doesn't, you know, you have to assume the audience doesn't know there's air coming out of there. And that's to show that. Like, So, yes, I'm with you on that. Every time that happens in a movie, I'm like, I know what an EMP is. I know, I know. But then I have to think about it. And I'm like, my mom has no idea what EMP stands for still to this day. And she's, she's seen plenty of movies. She's heard me talk about it. I could tell her, you know what an EMP is? And she'll just look at me like I've got three heads. So that kind of stuff is definitely in a mainstream movie. I totally get it because it's for her. It's for, you know, those, the, the folks that just don't know or just don't care, but you're right in that it does take me out as a viewer of a, of a moment when they're like, we need an EMP, you know, an electromagnetic pulse that will knock out everything. Like, yeah. Okay. Don't, don't, you can say what it is and move on. You don't have to hammer it down. This is a film that doesn't do that. And you're right in that that is a strength of it. And they did sure. what they did was honestly, arguably perfect in that the science points they had to get across, they got across without explaining them, mm-hmm. without, um, without um, uh, basically showing them. I mean, it was so visual. The, you know, like the sunshades that they had. Mm -hmm. Huge, huge to the plot of the movie and to the story. And they never explained how they worked or, or, you know, why they were there, how they were constructed, what material, which is what so many lesser movies would have done is over explain that. Instead, they showed it. They showed it in those beautiful scenes. You know, I don't want to jump ahead too far, but with um, you know the captain and and um, Killian Murphy, uh, I just Kappa. Sorry. Yeah. Um, you know, when they're out uh, repairing the panels, that was perfect. The way that they did that was so good because it drove across exactly what those things were, why they were there, mm-hmm. without trying to over explain it. And not only that, but showing you how important a single panel is to that whole operation, because they, they, the two, the two of them, Captain Kaneda and Kappa had to go out and repair four panels, which, and if you're paying attention to when Icarus, the ship starts talking about how much of the shield is in direct sunlight was taking up less than 3% of the total of that right. shield, four panels, but it was vitally important. They fixed those four panels mm-hmm. and all of that is conveyed through visuals and through just the, the simple dialogue of people interacting in a way that makes sense for the context that they're in instead of, it never felt like people reading lines in a script. It just felt like a bunch of people that were stuck on a ship together with their dialogue, with the way they did things. They, we didn't need a two-minute scene explaining what the oxygen garden was or why it was important. All we had to do was see Michelle Yeoh in there and 
that was enough. And then when it caught fire, we all understood why. And that was what I think I really, really liked about it. Danny Boyle, as a director, understands the medium of film in a way that a lot of uh, lesser directors don't. And it is a show-don't-tell medium. And he gets these amazing scripts, whether it's... I mean, Alex Garland, who wrote this, also wrote 28 Days Later. Also wrote the novel that The Beach was based on. Um, oh. So he's he's. I done, didn't know about the novel. That's interesting. Yeah, he he. That was his first novel, and he published it in 1996. And four years later, they made it into a feature film. And then a couple years after that, he got to work with. Um, uh, he got to work with Danny Boyle on 28 Days Later, and he went on to write uh, this, and then he wrote Dread, the Carl Urban Dread film, um, before getting into directing as well, because he also wrote and directed Ex Machina and Annihilation. And he worked on Devs. Uh, Devs was his, his series as well. Like, he's phenomenal. I love his his style because there's just something about the way he writes things that feels like real people in a way, but also, like, not. I don't know how to explain it. It's, it's a weird mixture, but, like, he writes some of my favorite sci-fi screenplays that I've that I've watched. I love this screenplay. I love 28 Days Later. Um, and Dread was such a good adaptation of that story, uh, of that world that uh, he just got. So yeah, I, big big props to Alex Garland for this. And the writing in this is so great because again, it just feels it feels like a bunch of people stuck here. And when you have a small cast like that, you need that. So um, speaking of the cast, so uh, you mentioned or we've mentioned uh, Killian Murphy already, who. Mm-hmm. It's funny. He's on the poster. He's he does the opening narration. He's like the only character listed in the credits that has a last name. Everyone else just has one name, and it's his. His he's listed as oh, Robert really? Kappa. Um, but oh oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I was, I was thinking of you meant like the actors. I'm like oh no 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 the actors' names. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Um, so the characters only had right. Yeah, and like he's the he's the last one at the end of the movie that detonates everything. Uh, but he also kind of isn't the protagonist. Like there isn't a singular protagonist in this movie. And I like that. No. It's very much an ensemble. Um, yeah. He's great, by the way. Uh, I, I really like Killian Murphy. Also, the man has impossibly blue eyes. Like yes. nobody's eyes should be that blue. Yeah. But, but his yeah. are. Absolutely. I'll watch him in any. It doesn't matter what it is. If he's in it, I will. I will watch it. You know. And you, you mentioned twenty eight days later, twenty eight weeks later, mm-hmm. which I think actually might be the better of the two. I know some people, you know, it, that's it, a controversial take. I yeah. love twenty eight weeks later. Um, you know, I mean, Sandra Bullock was good in twenty eight days <laughs> later, of course. Um, sorry, bad joke. I know twenty eight days, but uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so and he that was twenty eight days later was what really shot him to prominence among uh, a lot oh, of sure. people. Um, yeah, and yeah, yeah I mean, totally. I saw him in uh, the Wes Craven movie Red Eye, which is not a good movie by any stretch. But I went and Never saw him and heard of that movie. Yeah, <laughs> it wasn't. It it was a smaller movie with him and uh, uh, I think Parker Posey, I think was in it. But it was had had to do with a red eye flight and stuff happening on a plane. Uh, it wasn't very great. It wasn't great uh, at all. But I went and saw it in theaters because he was in it. Um, and I liked him in this. He he gets to 
he has the distinction of being the one non-astronaut in the crew. He's there as the physicist. Um, so, you know, he's got to, uh, he, he's kind of got this outsider feel to him um, amongst right. everybody else, which is, is good. Um, or, or maybe Michelle Yeoh, who, you know, her passion for that oxygen farm. I mean, she clearly was, you know, a botanist, a, a biologist. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Not to say she wasn't an astronaut, but got that scene, I mean, with the fire and that just... It, it, yeah. That hurt her so much because she cared about those plants yes. more than the people, really. Yeah, in a lot and of it ways. wasn't just it wasn't just the, you know, now we don't have enough oxygen to get home. It it was it was the plants. Mm-hmm. It absolutely was. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, and then that moment later on when she's in there looking at the wreckage and she sees the one little sprout, and just I love. I love Michelle Yeoh in anything. Uh, when when she popped up in Shang-Chi, when I was in the theater watching that last year, uh, I got so excited for it. Like, uh, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, she's amazing. Like she, Amazing. There's one amazing, coming out yeah. with her um, soon where she, it's some sort of multiverse thing going on where she's playing a version, one of, like, several versions of herself. I can't think of the name of it. It's like the... Everything, everywhere, all at once, I think is what it's called. And oh, interesting. I saw the trailer for that, and it started, and I was like, Michelle Yeoh, I'm in. I'm, I'm in. Yeah. I, don't, I don't care what else goes on. She's one of those types of, of actors for me. Uh, and she was really good in this. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody up and down the line. Cliff Curtis as Cyril. Unfort- I, his was the character that I wanted them to expand on more and give more screen time because he's the one going through the space madness. Right, which right. is always interesting, and he's the one that's like, he's he is the psych officer. So he immediately you already have like that first scene with him and uh, and um, Chris Evans, where Chris Evans is like, yeah, you're the psych officer, and I'm more sane than you are. Like that right there is an interesting bit. I want them to expand on that. Give me more because Cyril was kind of cool in that he was falling there a little bit, but he also kind of understood what was happening to him at the same time. You could kind of see some realization in his, in his face, but they had like just the subtle thing of like his throughout the, the course of the movie, he kept getting more and more like blisters and sunspots on him. Cause you could, you didn't have to show him over and over or talk about him. There's again, that show don't tell. They didn't have to make mention of the fact that he's been spending all of his free time in the observation room that right. gave, that told you everything you needed to know right there. Yeah. Um, and and Cliff Curtis is another one of those that I just every time he's in something, whether it's Training Day, whether it's uh, Three Kings, whether it's um, what's the other one that I just saw? Oh, um, Bringing Out the Dead. He's in that. Like, oh, he, okay. he shows up in these movies and he's always good. Uh, even um, really bad movies like Deep Rising, where he's only on screen for a couple of minutes <laughs> and that movie is not great. Yeah, right. but, but he's in it. And, no. I, and, and, and he's and he's fun. Uh, yeah. He's just one of those guys. I, Chris Evans, I mentioned. This was between Fantastic Four and Captain America. So he hadn't become right. Steve Rogers yet, but he had already been Johnny Storm. Um, he, was, he was on the way up, and he's really good in this movie. This is one of those. It's like Snowpiercer for him where it gets to show some of his acting ability. Yes. 
instead yes. of just yeah. being big mclarge huge and you know captain america right. which he got more and more as as the captain america movies went on but this there's something about his performance in this and i bring up snowpiercer because that was another one that i i had not seen before when i watched that i was really taken with his performance in it is there's a lot to it there are layers to his performance he does he isn't just playing the asshole uh, which is what he's introduced as. We're right. introduced to him in a fist fight with Killian Murphy. And and then for you know, you get some layers pulled back and you find out more about him and he's he's all about the mission and that's the most important thing. Uh, which is part of why I played that as the opening clip. But then there are still moments where he cares about other people and the the scene where he discovers um Trey is heartbreaking and and his performance in that moment is great Um, yeah and the wiping the blood on on the hands of killian murphy oh that was so good that was so good that was such a poetic moment it was it was beautiful it was a beautiful moment and again beautiful moment and again the guy that we were introduced to at the beginning of the movie a lesser movie he would have stayed kind of that dude throughout the whole thing Mm -hmm. Right, you would have had these characters would have been caricatures in something like a uh, oh if if this were uh, a film directed by I'll just throw out Michael Bay right or someone uh-huh. of that that stature that ilk um, these are these characters you're it, you're closer to something like Armageddon where the characters are cutouts and they're they're right. they're aspects of one person but everybody in this movie has layers to them and they have different things going on and uh, you know mace isn't the same from start to finish he has an arc and you get to see these different aspects of him and you're right poetic is the perfect word for what he did there because just the the idea of you know this belongs here he doesn't have to say it it's it's actually i think more effective the way he does it where he doesn't say his blood is on your hands he just swipes it off the floor rubs yeah. it on his hand and walks away. Like so good. It's such a powerful moment. It is it, it's beautiful the way it was done. Absolutely beautiful. Because yeah, there was nothing verbal about it. It was purely visual, but mm-hmm. it was exact and they didn't it they also didn't fall into that that director's trope, that editor's trope of, you know, then panning down to Killian Murphy's hands and, mm-hmm. and you, you're looking at the blood on his hands for 30 seconds and you get this shot of Killian Murphy, Murphy's face with, you know, um, like starting to tear up. That wasn't there. And no. it, it, it was perfect. It was brief. It was, and literally, if you were taking a sip of your drink, you would have missed that he wiped it on, on his hands. Absolutely. It was that fast. And that is why it was a perfect shot. It was a perfect way of giving us that moment, and and I I don't want to gloss over the the fact that you brought up Armageddon because Armageddon look at the space madness difference between mm-hmm. Armageddon and Sunshine and nothing nothing against Steve Buscemi I love Steve Buscemi oh sure but his space madness versus what we got in in Sunshine and. Again, don't want to jump ahead too far, but when we get to, you know, <laughs> we'll, we'll get the big there. bad. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's not even, they're not even, 
it, it's not, not it's e- it, they're not even in the same room they're not even in the same industry no and 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 a lot of that is because i mean we're talking to vastly different types of movies too so like oh absolutely what was going on in this doesn't work in armageddon um or vice versa Armageddon is a terrible movie it is crap I mean, it, it is entertaining it is entertaining but it is crap well yeah that's it michael is, bay though My, that that's a michael bay that, movie in a nutshell yeah. um they're not it's they're popcorn. not high art they're popcorn films um this is yeah. this is on a different level than that but 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 getting back to that moment with the b- wiping the blood on the hand what i like about that too is is everything is done quickly but the performance of everything is great because you know exactly how everyone feels in that moment without them having to hit you over the head with it mm-hmm. and that's a testament to good writing good directing and good acting and chemistry between your actors. There was never a moment where I felt like the characters of Kappa and Mace hated each other, but Mace was a very strong personality who was mission oriented. Kappa knew what he was supposed to do, but he also felt a little bit like an outsider in that kind of world but they never they were they would antagonize but they were it was never like i just don't like you because you're you like mace didn't like him because the decision that he made and how it's affecting the mission and everyone involved and kappa was like i just did what i thought was the right thing to do the math i i you know that was that was what it was and and that's what i like because again that feels like a real relationship between people yeah i mean yeah, there's absolutely there's no way those two, if, if the two of them were just butting heads constantly and hated each other, that they would have put them on a ship together for that period of time because, like, you just, you just wouldn't right. do that. Um, so, yeah, I, I love that. Also, uh, I mentioned the character of Trey. It was played by Benedict Wong, um, mm-hmm. who I hadn't seen. I, I hadn't watched this movie in a few years, so it was – I have this uh, image in my head now of Benedict Wong as he is today – because I've seen him in the Marvel films and stuff recently. And sure. going back and seeing him from 2007 and being like, wow, he just baby-faced Benedict Wong. And then I realized... And thin. My gosh, was he thin. He was. To what we... Yeah. And then I realized this movie's almost 15 years old now, which yeah. sounds wrong to say. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he... And, and, and he is an actor that brings something to a movie regardless of how long he's in it. Mm-hmm. He doesn't have to have a lot of screen time to be memorable. He his his take on Trey and what he goes through because he's basically there says a few things, makes a huge mistake and then he's gone. That's it. Like that that mistake right. scene is kind of the last thing he gets to act. But he's so like I remember him in this. And I remember that scene where they come in and he's just like, I messed up. And just over and over, he's like, I was doing this, I messed up. And he can't let that go. And that guilt that was in him. And there's one other shot of him later. Um, I think when everything's going down on the other ship, when they yes. find the Icarus one. At the, like, is he at the airlock or? Yeah, they kind of you know. make you wonder what, what exactly is going mm-hmm. on. And, mm-hmm. and he just, uh, he's, Again, it's a it's a masterful performance. He's so good in this, in such a short period of time. All of them are. Um, Hiroyuki Sonata as Kaneda, the captain, yeah, just nails it. And 
Yeah, he was incredible. And and you're seeing also in Snowpiercer too, right? Uh, he might have been. I know he was in. I think he was in Snowpiercer. I think he was the Kron addict, wasn't he? No, that was somebody else. Because that's no, but he was in. Uh, he was not in Snowpiercer. He was in the Wolverine. He was in Mortal Kombat just recently mm-hmm. as uh, Scorpion Hanzo Asashi. Um, oh, the new one. Oh, I need to see that actually. Yeah, I and and that's what I was when I was watching this. I'm like, oh, that's right. That's why I've seen him recently because he was in that. Um, and uh, but he he's again not in the movie for that long, but he's really effective and he's really good in the moments that he's in because you're seeing you're seeing him start to slip the way that uh, the other captain did. And you're seeing him spending a little like they they have a couple of shots where he's in the observation room, um, but he's holding it together really well, and he's he understands that the mission is the most important thing, no matter what, and that everyone, including himself, is expendable, um, as long as the mission can continue to move forward. And I love that he was so quick to be like, "I'll go out on the on the thing and and fix stuff." Um, and he's just another one of those commanding presence where I totally bought he was the captain and people would listen to him. And just his reactions to things when Mace is telling him, you know, we got to do this, we got to do that. And he's like, yep, nope, that's what we got to do. We can't, we can't sacrifice these other things. The mission's got to happen. Like, I loved that. So, yeah, uh, he's, he's really good. And Rose Byrne, too, as Cassie, um, is another one who nobody, there's no, like... The most screen time goes to Chris Evans and Killian Murphy. Um, everyone else, is, yeah. it, it, but it's very much an ensemble and that everyone plays a part. And Rose Byrne as Cassie is sort of the, she is taking the part of kind of the heart and soul of things. Mm-hmm. Um, she's yeah. the, the, the emotional core of everything. Um, she's the one that, the one dissenting opinion when they're like, we need to take out, we need to kill Trey. Because we need the oxygen, essentially. Right. Uh, and he's the most expendable of the five of us. And she's the one that doesn't want to go with that plan. Um, she's and the her one... line for that was perfect. Oh, so good. Oh, uh, it's I, was another... like, I, I, I know what you, I know what you said, or I know what you need. Yeah, I know you need my vote, but you're not getting it. Yeah, but it was the way she said it, though. So like, I know what you, I know what you're saying. Mm-hmm. I know what you mean or something like that, but yeah. you're not going to get it. But she never says my vote like you or you don't have it, whatever. I'm, I'm butchering the line. But that line was they simplified it down. And it, it, another another like, you know, don't say too much. Mm-hmm. It's, it, yeah. it's really Beautiful. it's a script that is efficient in its delivery of of dialogue yes. and exposition. It didn't get in the way of the visual storytelling Mm -hmm. and the visual storytelling didn't downplay the script. They worked beautifully together. They really, really did. Um, Also Chipo Chung, I think it's Chipo. I'm going to pronounce it that way. She was the voice of Icarus. Um, Yes. Which is very much the tie back to uh, Space Odyssey. Yes. And I really liked how, Again, looking at, you know, 2001 A Space Odyssey being an influence on Danny Boyle and this film, you can see that and you can see where where uh, 
that had a cold, emotionless computer driving everything. Icarus was not only cheerful in a lot of ways, but you got a sense of, even if it wasn't really supposed to be there, you got this sense of uh, an emotional bond with between Icarus, the Icarus AI, and the crew. And the crew, absolutely. Especially and, with Cassie. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Oh, definitely. The interaction between those two. Yeah. And actually, before anybody gets angry, it's actually 2010 where, because Hal was uh, 2001, 2010 is when it was the. Um, mm, mm-hmm. It wasn't Hal. It was. No, and oh, I. Well, there's, it's been so long since I've seen it. Why can't I think of the computer name? It was Candace Bergen who did the, the voice, but she was credited as like. Mm. I don't know, some fake name. <laughs> One of yeah, those. Something. It's like yeah. uh, Robin Williams when he was in um, Adventures of Baron von Munchausen went uh, got credited with some random name. Oh, really? Oh, that's yeah. funny. I didn't know that. Even though it's clearly Robin Williams and nobody watching. Clearly, yeah, right. Like nobody watching that movie is going to mistake him for somebody else, but his name is right. in the credits. Um, right. But yeah, I loved that. I loved that idea of like this this connection and the way that the AI interacted with uh, with Cassie, with Mace, with everybody. Where yeah. it was like it was distinct interactions between the computer and the different crew members, as well as the crew as a whole. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's the moment where Icarus initiates a conversation with Kappa about how the crew are all dying. Yes. And and how long it's going to take. And like that's when we find out that there's the fifth person on the ship. We're right. gonna get to in just a second. But like that was a cool thing. Because again, that's that's the type of thing that normally when we think of sci-fi uh movies and their computers and their artificial intelligence, it's always the the human characters initiating everything to do with the computer, unless it's the computer going rogue. Uh and this was just a case where the computer was like, Hey, you guys are not going to make the mission the, the, I want you to know I want you to make sure I want to make sure you understand what's going on here um, so I, I definitely enjoyed that uh, there was intelligence in the artificial intelligence yes which is not not always the case that <laughs> there's actual intelligence yeah um, the second in command was Troy Garrity Harvey who uh, I think at one point I remember thinking man Harvey's a dick and he was the yeah. least developed of the characters, I would say. However, only because he, again, doesn't have a ton of screen time, he felt like the least fleshed out one. Because, um, like, we don't get in the movie. I did some reading, and there was, like, biographies that somebody wrote uh, for all the characters that the, the actors worked with to create their backstories for their performances. Yeah. Um, so a lot of this, uh, a lot of stuff was in that about, you know, the character of Harvey and, and what his motivations were for why he was acting the way that he was. Um, but that some of that didn't quite come across in the movie to me. Um, however, I liked his performance. I thought he was good. I thought, um, that he, he played that character well. And it was, I was sad when, they blew the airlock and as soon as they blow the airlock and he goes out and you see him start to veer just a little bit and you're like, well, he's Harvey's done. And it's sad. It's a sad moment, regardless of what he had been saying just minutes before that. Yes. Yeah. And it's, this is something that, that occurred to me 
throughout the movie, particularly, I mean, obviously, particularly towards the end, is something I really appreciated is that every character got an an end, mm-hmm. a fruition that felt fitting to that character. Yeah. You know, Michelle Yeoh discovering the plant, having that moment of joy, dying in, you know, there in the in the oxygen farm, Harvey having that selfishness to him and you know quite obviously i'm i'm gonna be the one that gets the suit because i'm the captain and you know uh, and and mace having to push back and say doesn't matter you're expend we're all expendable except for kappa who like you said they've been butting heads all along but Mm -hmm. mace even with that even with having fought the guy twice knows He's the only one that matters because yep. he's the only one that can drive that payload into the sun. And so Harvey getting the end that he did because of, you know, that veer that he went into that selfishness end of it. Um, uh, what's his name now? I'm, I'm blanking on his name. The the psych officer. Oh, Searle. Searle. Not, not succumbing to the space madness. Mm-hmm. And and really being the ultimate self-sacrifice other than Canada uh, uh, in in the sense that, you know, he knows what he has to do. He right off the bat, he's like, no, I'm the one staying. Yep. Mace doesn't fight it, you know, and, and that's one of the other things too the, the respect between the, all of the crewmates. Yes. Not fighting each other over those decisions, but then also. I just find good as psych officer. Searle. Searle. Um, his end then is on the observation deck. Yep. He gets to succumb to the sun, basically. You know, not even space madness as much as it was sun madness. Yeah. Um, you know, it, that's almost what he's wanted all along. You yeah. Know, like when when Canada was was just finishing the panel right and there wasn't enough time to make it back to the to the airlock to make it back mm-hmm, to the mm-hmm. ship and he was saying what do you see what do you see yep because he wanted to know he wanted to experience that and that was his blaze of glory moment but again the end that he deserved uh mace with the antifreeze which by the way that was beautiful too when they were talking about i shouldn't say antifreeze actually the, yeah, the, the coolant. coolant tank yep when he was working on it, they didn't over-explain it. Yeah, this is, you know, negative 30 degrees Celsius because we combine these chem- chemicals and whatnot. His stinking wrench drops into the liquid. He has to plunge his hand in, and immediately he gets he gets uh, burned. You know, yeah. nitrogen burns almost on his hand. Yeah, that That's was... It. So he had to show. And That's what's it. What's great about that is there's your, there's your Chekhov's coolant tank, right? Because they've set that up earlier. Yes. And then they yes. pay it off. But like you're saying, they don't overexpose and overexplain it. No. It's it's a perfectly logical reaction that when you drop your wrench, you're going to reach for it immediately, which is what he does. And mm-hmm. and to have that set up and then later on, it's not just that the coolant tank was his undoing. It's that he had to go into it and out and in and out. And yes. I guess originally the way that they were going to shoot it was he just didn't make it out of the tank the third time. 
and froze that way. And Danny Boyle added the leg getting caught because he felt like by that point, the character of Mace had sort of shown himself like he wouldn't just not be able to get out of that tank. Like he'd find some way to get out of there. Right. And so they they added in that layer of like he got his foot caught, which by the way, if you notice too, he's wearing sandals when he, he goes into that He is wearing sandals. Like, yes, yee, I, I was, did notice that. I, mm-hmm. I got like physically colder watching that scene. Oh, but it's also it's such a fitting thing because he's been the uh like the most um God, I, macho I guess would be the word I would use but he's been the most kind of in your face in a lot of ways and for him to succumb to uh you know he, he froze to death because of the coolant and getting stuck like that and it was such a slow scene that played out and his only thought throughout all of it was to make sure Kappa got in and set the bomb off, like finish the mission. End of the day, that was still his driving force was to finish the mission. You bringing up Searle not succumbing to the space madness was one of my favorite things because, again, a lesser film or a tropier film, he goes crazy with space madness and that causes some problems. And he doesn't. He He was enough of himself that he wanted so desperately to know what, what Kaneda was seeing and what he was experiencing in that moment because he wanted to experience that himself, but it didn't, it didn't break him. It didn't make him lose his edge. He kept, he kept his faculties about him and then realized, well, now I can go out the way that I want. I'll throw my sunglasses on and here we go. And, uh, he gets to just... And the sunglasses, that was great. I oh, love yeah. the way they kept bringing, you know, the sunglasses on the observation deck, not just him, but Kaneda as well. Yep. But then when he was wearing them, when they went to the Icarus One. Yeah. And at first, okay, why is this guy wearing sunglasses? It's dark. They've got flashlights. But it was like, okay, Spaceman is like, this guy's losing it. He's wearing aviators mm-hmm. in a dark, you know, but then he does take it off and he gets down to work. Yep. He gets the bit, you know, he gets down to business. He takes them off and he he does his job. He discovers things that needed to be discovered. And God, it was just beautiful. The way I, I keep using the word beautiful, but it really was. Oh, it, yeah. This movie was so it was beautifully intense. And before I forget to mention this, the intensity of this movie, I have to I finished <laughs> watching this at eleven o'clock last night. I had to watch about I ended up watching about one and a half episodes of Great British Bake Off just to bring <laughs> myself down because it's like, I can't go to bed. There's no, I mean, I was still actually writing reports. I was working. I, I still had a, a couple of reports to finish, but um, there was no way I could have gone to bed at that point. I wouldn't have slept. I wouldn't have slept all night if I had tried to go to bed. If I had, you know, pressed stop on my, you know, Amazon rental and then gone to bed, forget about it. I'd be tossing and turning for hours because my Gosh, was this movie intense, man? Well, there again is your your influence of Alien, right? Where Alien, that first Alien film, and I talked about it when we covered it way back when on the show, is it's just the tension ratchet, 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 and then release. Oh yeah, and then it would just continue to do that. And this movie does that too. It's a constant buildup. Now, I will say, I very much enjoy this movie, but it is not perfect. Um, Although rewatching it, I had a much better appreciation for Act Three than I did after my first viewing of it. Um, and I think okay. I didn't see this initially in theaters. I want to say it was like 
somewhere between 08 and 10 that I saw it, uh, home video type thing. Um, but Act 3 is where the character of Pinbacker, played by Mark Strong, really gets introduced. Mm-hmm. We've seen little bits of him as like, um, you know, uh, there's the moment early on in the movie where they get the uh, the distress call. And they move closer to the ship and they talk about Pinbacker and all of that. His The character, I don't mind. Um, I actually really enjoyed the visuals of how they portrayed Pinbacker all the time. You never yes. got just a clear vision of him. You never um, really saw Mark Strong. Yeah, ever. Like you never saw his face. Which, Undeniable Mark Strong. You knew from the second you heard, at least I did, from the oh, second yeah. I heard his voice. I love Mark Strong. Mm-hmm. Lo- he's another one. If he's in it, I'm watching it. I, yeah, absolutely. I've watched Tinker Tail- Taylor Soldier Spy at minimum of 15 times. I, I adore that film. He is amazing in it. Um, and, yeah, absolutely love the guy. Yeah, so like the visu- that visual was cool. It just, I think what happened was the first time I saw the movie, somewhat similar to the first time I saw Event Horizon where I wasn't prepared for the direction that that movie went, I had that to a lesser scale in this which was I wasn't prepared for the sci-fi thriller to to throw in this element of almost like a slasher film uh, motif and, and some stuff going on with that at the time that it did because they didn't really set that up much through the first two-thirds of the movie. And so now. my first time seeing it, it felt more jarring and I didn't appreciate it as much. Watching it this time, I get it a little bit better. I still... It still feels a little bit disjointed. It still feels like a little bit like we're gonna we're gonna switch things up um, a bit much. But I do appreciate it more, and part of that is Mark Strong and his performance. And then when I was reading about the movie, one of the things was that Alex Garland's original story and script had a lot more um, undertones of uh, religion and um versus science and atheism and and all of this that Danny Boyle downplayed a lot in the final product in in hopes of like just making it a little bit more accessible and not not overplaying that those aspects of it which would cuz there there are definitely going to be segments of of the audience that would just immediately turn off if it was too heavy-handed sure. with that so one want, way or the other. Right, Either exactly. one. Like, yeah, more towards science and more towards religion. Certainly, yeah, absolutely. So he kind of downplayed that, but I guess the, the character of Pinbacker was kind of, you had, he was almost like a fundamentalist in a yes. lot of ways. And so I get where they were going with that now, and, and it sort of makes sense that he's sort of the, it's not two sides of the same coin, there's a third aspect to it. Um, and And I liked it. It also... It also gives you a because this movie doesn't really have like a outside of Pinbacker an antagonist, right? Without Pinbacker doing what he does with the sabotaging of the airlock and hunting them down and all that kind of stuff because he's talked to God for the last seven years and has been stuck by himself close to the sun, also burnt to a crisp. Like without him there, there isn't the the antagonist is the sun. And that's a lot harder of a narrative to kind of sell to a studio when you're making your movie and to some audiences. So I get 
a lot of having him in there. And like I say, I just appreciated it more this time around, um, which made it less of like a jarring and, le- and, and, and less of a detraction from the movie uh, for me. What did you think of like that aspect of things and kind of not so much like the, the gear switch that they did at that point? It, it, I mean, it, it was, it, it ramped up the intensity significantly. It makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, I very much had a feeling of um, similarity to the movie Drive. Did you ever see that movie? I did. With, um, yeah. So I actually went to see that movie with my nephew. And the first half of the movie, I'm thinking... This is my wife would love this movie. Like this is really cool. Like just That's, um, you know the the relationship between Ryan Murphy and um, uh, Carrie Mulligan, and okay, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. yeah, and like they had this beautiful chemistry where they barely said anything to each other, mm-hmm. but their chemistry was incredible. Ryan and Gosling. Then, That's right, Ryan Gosling. What did I say, Murphy? Yeah. Who the heck is Ryan Murphy? I'm not sure. But it took me a second because I'm like, Drive, Murphy. Wait, no, Ryan Gosling. Because that was one yeah, I did see in theaters. Get Ryan Murphy? I think that's somebody I went to high school with. Anyway. <laughs> Ryan Gosling, Kelly um, Murphy, you know. Maybe that's it, actually. Yeah, actually, it might have been that. Um, and then all of a sudden, uh, um, I always remember her from uh, Firefly, um, Mal's wife. Uh, she gets oh, yeah. killed yep. with a, uh, a curtain rod through the side of her head and i was like oh okay Mm -hmm. (laughs) that was unexpected and then of course there's the whole elevator scene and Mm. the hammer and it's like yeah i'm not getting my wife's not gonna watch this movie nope (laughs) new yeah that and uh it was a bit like that but not not even as much though because they didn't fall down the rabbit hole the the trope whole you know whatever go down the trope slide of the slasher to the extent where it became gratuitous nothing was gratuitous honestly the only thing that i think pushed this into an r rating was how terrifying it was oh for sure because it wasn't that bloody no Um, like even when michelle yo you know the 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 stabbing to to michelle yo it was not gruesome in any way um no, and the and funny thing is, the, oh, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. As you say, maybe uh, Benedict Wong's, you know, the way he's laying, I could see that. Yeah, I don't even remember there being much in the way of, like, language. I mean, maybe during the fights between Mace and Kappa, they may have like There's, sworn a few times as they were going yeah, back and forth. But the, that's it. The language wasn't terrible. There's a few f bombs dropped, but it's not. It's not awful. Is it's, it that? It's the only ones I can think of, right? Like, yeah, no, it, and and it doesn't over. You're right in that. My memory of it going into this viewing was that that third act was almost a straight up space slasher, and it really wasn't mm. that. It was no. When I was watching it this time, and that's part of why I appreciate it more, is like there's aspects of that, but it still retained the same film that we were watching. But they threw it's that very in there. cerebral. It is very, very cerebral. cerebral. In fact, it's, Pinbacker only really kills Michelle Yeoh. Yeah, he, that's it. Actually, that, yeah, he doesn't kill anybody else. That's the only one he really gets. Uh, and he obviously he's the one that blows the airlock up um, and causes all of that issue. Right, but that. And do we know that though? Because that's the thing. Like, 
they never actually make that clear. He could have come through the airlock and it could have been Trey who does it. Or maybe Trey just went into the room and, and slid his wrist before Pinback ever came on because we don't know. Like, and I love that. They kind of leave that almost yeah. nebulous in a way. There was there was some debate, too, in, a, in some trivia that I was reading of whether or not he staged everything with Trey, if it was Pinbacker that staged that or not. I don't buy that because I just no, don't. I don't think that that, that doesn't make sense for what they've established Pinbacker as as a character. Um, no. But, That's not his purpose there. His, his, purpose, his purpose is to ultimately sabotage, not... Right. To stop mess what, with, he doesn't want to mess with people. He wants to no. prevent the the Icarus mission's success. That that doesn't. He's not a villain in that regard. It's, he's no he he's just nuts. Uh, he's just lost he's just it. Nuts, yeah. The only I, I would say it is the least believable thing that he would have survived seven years out there and then because what happens if they don't alter course? He just keeps floating around the sun, I guess. Um, it's the most out well, there part of even, things. It wasn't even so much. What was it? So I guess it's basically because, because he sabotaged Icarus. Yep. There was no piloting. Like they, there, there was nothing that could, like there was no trajectory. There was no, like, he, he basically was stuck in the sense that, they made their 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 shot around Mercury, and that was it. Like he was just stuck on that course. Yeah, pretty much. Because there was yeah, and so like that's the the biggest kind I of. I guess you gotta, only the drive of him make like. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I guess like just to just to, because they probably would have known that there would have been a, a second mission because they would have been. In that seven years, right? In the in the so so rewind seven years, right? The lead up to Icarus One, they would have been in the planning and execution stages of Icarus Two. They would have been mining that ore. They would have been getting those things ready because that takes many years. Yeah, and the trip itself takes many years. Although we don't know how long the trip from Earth to the point of no contact is either. We don't get that info. Right. So, like, we don't know how long it's been since Icarus 2 launched. We just know that it's been seven years since Icarus 1 lost Well, he contact. does say, he does say to his parents, I'll see you in a couple years. Uh, that's true. So, it's a minimum, you know, you can extrapolate yeah. a minimum of a four year trip, mm-hmm. you know, at least two. And that's even from the, from the no contact zone. Yeah. So, it might be. It might be two years until they get to the no contact zone. So it might be a six year span. Yeah. I guess that like if I'm going to nitpick the movie, that's the only thing that is is truly unbelievable is that Pinbacker is still there and they just he got lucky in that they decided to change course and get close enough to the ship and then come over. Right. But but again. I'm kind of nitpicking there. Like it doesn't detract from what I think of this movie, which is that I think this movie is really, really good. Um, right. And the, vi- and there is something to the, the ridiculous zeal. And, and I don't, you know, that would be the right word. You know, he, he literally is a zealot at that oh, point. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, to keeping somebody alive, even somebody 
whose ultimate goal in his zeal is is to go to God, you know, and bring all of humanity with him. And that's why he did that. But there mm-hmm. is something to that keeping him alive. True. That and getting rid of the rest of the crew so he can eat all their food. It <laughs> um, makes sense. Eh? And, and we touched on this a little bit earlier, but the visual style of this movie was so just like it's visually arresting there's there's moments in this where i'm just like oh god that's just a beautiful way to compose a shot or simple things like a a moving camera going from right to left and the shot is michelle yo on a little motorized scooter going down a hallway uh but but the shot is done at like a 30 degree dutch tilt and then it's panning from right to left as she's moving straight towards the camera but now she's coming at you at an angle so you're thrown off a little bit like things like that those compositions um all the stuff all the visual effects having to do with the sun and uh just the immense heat and the the ship i love the layout of the ship and how it's this giant ship's gorgeous it, it, they 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 have the payload behind this giant solar shield and then just like a stick coming out the back of it and that's your ship like brilliantly yes utilitarian design makes perfect sense mm-hmm. um and having uh they they originally were going to have something to do with like gravity where they have sections of the ship that rotated that created gravity in other areas that didn't budget didn't let them do that um because what they wanted was when that was the concept they were going to have a thing where when they boarded Icarus 1 its gravity was wonky and so everything was like sideways but they couldn't. Oh, that would have been cool. So they wanted yeah. to build like a replica of the stage, but have it shifted so everyone's walking on the wall or on the ceiling. But they just didn't have the budget to do that. That would have been really cool. Like thinking that about that cool. conceptually, I'm like, oh, I want to see that. Um, yeah, because there's been a few movies that have done that well, where they mm-hmm. had like the you know the cylindrical rotation to allow for yep. um, to allow for for artificial gravity. Um, yeah, that would have been neat actually if they did that. But yeah, I can I can see that really jumping up the price point. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. Especially if you have to build a whole other soundstage. Yes. Um, and yes. they they shot this movie in about fifteen weeks, so it was a rel- for a sci-fi film. That's a relatively short shooting period. Um, it's about yep. three months, but it's a pretty high concept movie. I guess Danny Boyle said that he didn't want to do another sci-fi movie after this. Um, yeah, um, yeah, that was mentioned in the in the yeah. in the chat. Um, I hate that. I, I would. Love, <laughs> <laughs> my gosh, I would love to see him do another one. I, now that I've seen this, it's like, good lord, please do another one. I have to wonder how much of that is because so. Sci-fi movies are, are are high concept, right? So there's a lot of production work that goes into them anyway. But he also used one visual effects house for all the effects in this movie. And this is a heavy effect movie, really, when you, yeah. when you really sit down and, and look at it. And so it was in post-production for a year uh, after they wrapped filming. I believe that. And part of that was because it was one production house... Uh, doing the visual effects and he he decided to go that route so that he had kind of better control over everything that was going on and it was just easier to talk to one person or one team of people um but i have to wonder how much of his his uh desire to never do sci-fi again is because he put himself in that position 
where he's stretching things out, he's be. making it longer, and it's there's a lot yeah. of stress involved in that. Um, oh gosh, yeah, I'm sure he's getting constant calls from you know industry suits that you know pestering him and oh, whatnot. Yeah, um, again, yeah. the again, worst like a... aspect of of the film industry is obviously this. The su- well, honestly, the worst aspect of life is the suits. The suits, but, the money. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, I'm with you in that I wish Danny Boyle could do more uh, stuff because, again, he has this great ability to show, not tell. You know, we see right. the oxygen garden. We see Michelle Yeoh in there. And then the next time we see it is when we've had the communications tower because of the way they had to turn things in order to fix the solar shield a small part of that communications tower was going to go outside the shield and get burnt. They were fine with that. But then it rotating around and the just from confluence of things caused light to go into the oxygen uh, garden in just the wrong way and set things on fire. And that's the next time uh-huh. we see it. And those are brilliant shots. Um, brilliant. Just so much of that. There was so many great, I love the lighting. I love the composition of things. Uh, it's it's a movie worth watching just for the visuals alone. Let not even taking into account the great script that it has. So. Yes. Yeah. There are two things um, that I was thinking. One is I'm very glad for the timing of this movie, and I don't think this is even something Danny Boyle would do. But just in case, I'm very glad that it was in 07 and not even a few years later, because it wasn't shot with shaky cam. Shaky cam is the worst thing to ever happen to the film industry. It should die in a fire and never, ever be used again. So thank God it wasn't made, you know, even five years later. And the one I thought of right away, I'm like, when did, when was the first Hunger Games movie made? Because the first Hunger Games movie was one of the first really bad shaky cam movie. And it was 2012. I had to look it up. That movie, the shaky cam in that was so bad, I, I actually literally sat in the theater i closed my eyes i, I was like i'm, I'm getting v- physically sick watching this movie because of how bad the shaky cam was so i'm very glad that every shot in this was steady cam smooth beautiful um the other thing in terms of that that high art sci-fi is i think that delhi delhi uh or denny velenov is yep. He is that now for us. Blade Runner 2049, you know, it encapsulates that movie that critically acclaimed. Mm -hmm. The fans love it. Didn't make a ton of money. Made good money. You know, they still made $100 million profit. But, you know, it's not enough for the suits, uh, apparently. Um, I think that's one of the greatest sci-fi movies ever made, in my opinion. And then he goes and tops it with Dune. Mm Mm-hmm. Which is absolutely cinematic perfection. I mean, it just it's it's astounding the quality of that film, especially considering how terrible the original Doom movies were. Um, absolutely incredible. Yeah, I mean, so it's it's one of the like, high art sci fi is still possible. Oh, there's still hope. There's sure. still hope. You know, a couple of things. One is yeah, I'm with you on that. Dune is also such a difficult book to adapt without i mean it's absolutely adapting dune in the 80s you got what you got with david lynch's version um but it's the reason why i'm glad that the lord of the rings didn't get a live action adaptation until 
15 years later because yes. a live action Lord of the Rings film made in the 70s like they, they originally wanted to do would not have been good because the technology and the production wasn't there yet to make that world come to life. You mean the animated uh, mixed with rotoscope because they ran out of money and had well, to stop, you know, halfway that, through? That was that was actually stylistic. I guess that was That's, the Hobbit, though. Uh, no, that was the Lord of the Rings. That was Ralph Bakshi. That was Lord. Of, um, that, oh, yeah, and, that was the Bakshi. And and that was that was a stylistic choice. He wanted the rotoscoping. That was just what well, that was Bakshi. Wasn't that the one where the Am I mixing up with another one where it was like fully animated and then halfway through the movie it switched to rotoscoping because they ran out of money for the animation, so they actually had to start doing. I don't know. I don't know. Am I mixing that up with another Bakshi film? That could be because because Lord of the Rings mixes in rotoscoping throughout it, um, but that was all stylistic. I actually, I I I kind of like Bakshi's version. Uh, It's not the same. Do it, yeah, but yeah. But no, you're I, right. I kind of dug it up. Yeah, but you're right in that there is good still. There there are directors that are doing high concept sci-fi, um, and I, yeah. I, I I appreciate that. Danny Boyle. I also I, I will say Danny Boyle would never, uh, it, it, based on what I've seen, do any kind of shaky cam. Regardless, um, and, yeah, he wouldn't. Which uh, is and same with Deli. Uh, I keep saying Deli. Denny Vonu. I've loved I love Denny Vonu. The problem is I'm also a, a huge uh football fan, soccer fan. Ah. And my team is Tottenham and we have a player named Deli Alley. Ah. Well we had. We actually just sold him to Everton. Anyway, I if, it was cr- crossing signals in my brain. <laughs> um yeah. also, I also wanted to mention so you brought up Hunger Games as being uh twenty twelve. The yes. movie for me that Outside of a found footage movie where shaky cam is obviously a thing because it's found footage, so right. the idea is that the people doing it are doing it all handheld, yeah. was um, The Born Supremacy was one of the first ones for yes. me. Yes. That was 2004. Um, and was, that was it really? Oh, yeah, wow. 2004, wow. and that was Paul Greengrass, and it was this idea of bringing the camera handheld into the action to make it feel more visceral. It can work. I have actually seen where handheld camera work works really well. But much like anything, when it's done poorly or it's done cheaply or it's done by people who don't know what they're doing, it's bad. And right. it can definitely be I actually overdone. tried to watch The Board Supremacy recently. I couldn't watch it. I was getting motion sick from it. And I was I'm, like, I don't remember getting this reaction to it. Of course, in, you know, I... Two years ago, I was in a really, really bad car accident, and I've had a lot of issues with motion sickness ever since, so that didn't help. Probably um, not, no. But, yeah, no, no. <laughs> it's not fun getting hit from behind when you're sitting in a traffic light by somebody going 50 miles an hour. No. No, that sounds no, terrible. No, it, it hasn't been a fun two years. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that shaky cam in the Borm Supremacy, yeah, it... I've, I've, there's a few movies where I wish they would actually go back and re-edit them to remove that. <laughs> And so from what I, I actually heard this at one point, there's some kind of software. Um, it's like an AI based editing software that can actually go in and smooth a lot of that out. And people started doing fan edits of <laughs> movies that were really ruined by shaky cam. I apparently. could see that happening. Unfortunately, yeah. there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of fans fixing things that, uh, that don't need to be fixed as well. Uh, but that's a whole, a little whole other discussion that uh, we can have. Right. At some point. Um, I did want to mention, so 
I did not plan this, but last week was also a Danny Boyle film, uh, Train Spot, yeah, which I saw for the yeah. first time. And oh, did you know about the toilet? By the way, I knew. You mentioned you went into it. I knew barely. of that scene. I think because I had maybe seen like a, a gif of either him going into or coming out of the toilet, but I didn't. It still didn't prepare me for what the scene was because one what of the my scene was okay. One of my notes while I was watching it was was oof, this toilet scene is rough, and then it was topped five minutes later by the scene around the breakfast table. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah. <laughs> That was uh, that movie was an experience. But one of the cool things about uh, about the fact that I've done uh, two Danny Boyle films back to back is now I can kind of see his evolution as a director. And he's still, you know, ten years after Train Spotting, he was still pushing the envelope of visuals and different visual ways to tell the story. And I know I mentioned it earlier, but I just want to mention it again. Everything to do with Pinbacker visually in this movie, I I find fascinating. Because it's not, you just never, never getting to see him full on, but knowing that he's burnt to a crisp, he's running around naked, it's Mark Strong. And even like when it would be a framed shot of him and someone else, maybe that visual would bleed over to the other person, or maybe it would only be part of the frame. And I just, I loved all that because again, it gave me this disorientation um, around yes. his character. And I could, you can never get a, a clean kind of grip of his character at all at any point in that third act. And I really, really enjoyed that. So, um, yeah, I, uh, I very much enjoy this movie and I'm really glad that you got to see it. And I, I love the fact that you went into it, not knowing anything about it. And so you just got to like see this unfold in front of you and, and, and just get to like soak it all in. And I'm glad that you enjoyed it. I loved it. I mean, I I absolutely loved it, and I I I can't, I'm so thankful, so thankful that I was, I mean, beyond spoil. Forget spoiler free. I knew nothing, nothing about this movie, except that it exists, and I, the, I don't know if there's any other film out there because, I mean. I take so much pride in the fact that I saw pretty much every film made from like the early eighties up through, you know, even like the mid two thousands range. I mean, I was a film nut and somehow this eluded me entirely. I don't even think I ever remember seeing it on a rental shelf. I mean, I used to be in blockbuster three, four days a week, you know, before that West coast video, you know, uh, I'm showing my age a bit, but <laughs> like it just I i don't even think this was ever even like suggested to me at the end of a film in like I'm watching something on Amazon. Like, hey, you know, people also, you know, like this, which is mind boggling because I watch so much sci fi that somehow this has eluded me. Even when I've watched Train Spotting, and, you know, 28 days later, 28 weeks later, <laughs> you know. The beach, I've seen the beach, I've seen the beach probably a minimum six or eight times. Um, a, it's a great movie. B, I love sharks. I'm a scuba diver. I, I, I absolutely love sharks. And C, uh, my lifelong best friend, uh, he was on the beach where the beach was filmed. Oh. He was there six months after the film was filmed there. Oh, damn. That's he cool. was on that beach in Tahiti. Yeah. That's really cool. 
Tahiti? No. Vietnam. Uh, I can't remember where they filmed it. it might have Whatever, been. Whatever, I forget. Yeah. Somewhere. It might have been Vietnam, Cambodia. Uh, yeah, I mean, he he did a whole one-year trip. That's cool. Um, yeah, except he, he decided to do it right after I got married. It's like, dude, you couldn't have done this before I got married so I could have gone with you. Gosh. Of course. No, yeah. this is this is a movie, though, if you enjoy cerebral sci-fi um, mm-hmm. at all. If you we mentioned Blade Runner 2049, we mentioned Dune. Yes. Like De- if you're a, Deli, a Denny Villeneuve fan, you will probably and now I've got you it. saying it, Deli. <laughs> yeah, you'll probably enjoy Sunshine. Um, if you like any Danny of the Boyle, Aliens franchises, you know that that thriller aspect, that yeah. cerebral, you know, particularly the early, you know, Alien and Aliens. Yeah, um, it's that it's it's the show don't tell, so yes. it 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 takes its audience seriously and it gives them a lot of credit and it also does a lot with kind of your own imagination and a lot of, there's a lot of show don't tell. And then there's a lot of like what's going on, what's happening type of stuff as well. Yeah. And I enjoy that. Like the relationship between Cassie and Kappa. Right. Exactly. That, that is something that could have been overexplored they could have, you know, shown like a romantic angle to it, all of that. And he stopped just, just enough mm-hmm. to be like, oh, I want to know more. I want to know, you know, and it's not like, oh, are we going to ship them and, you know, that kind of thing. Right. It just, I just want to know more because their relationship was fantastic. Mm-hmm. Like, oh my gosh, it was so good. You really got the sense that this crew of people spent that amount of time together, lived together they felt like real uh, interpersonal relationships where of of people who probably met, you know, not terribly, like they weren't lifelong friends or anything like that, but they, they knew each other enough. And I liked that. I liked how everyone kind of got along, but they also butted heads. It felt like a family. It really felt like a real family and real, real relationships. So I, I appreciated that. It, unfortunately, the movie's not streaming anywhere. It's not on any of the streaming services, but you can rent it uh, or buy it. Um, it's on all your YouTube, Amazon, Apple TV, Redbox, all of those. Um, it's worth checking out. It's, it's a $4 rental. I think you should watch it and, and just enjoy uh, enjoy some fun um, sci-fi. I did capture a couple of uh, clips. The, actually, the only clips that I got were that distress call. Um, signal because I just loved like that's another thing is uh, it was such a cool uh, sound design throughout the movie because um, so we mentioned the visuals yeah. but the sound was great too and the sound was outstanding the the distress call that they pick up from the Icarus one and I, I captured that I gotta play that that's just oh, it's like haunting it's a weird it is yeah. haunting distress call um, that, that you seem to only get in a movie like this. Right? Yeah. Like, and, and something like a 2001, 2010, yep, you know, yep. it, it's still, it's pulling that homage from them. Um, of course, especially 2010, they went way overboard with their alarm sounds, <laughs> um, like to the point of just exhaustion, mm-hmm. um, ad nauseum <laughs> would be yeah. the right phrase, the turn of phrase for that. Uh, yeah, the sound, it, Everything was so balanced in this mm-hmm. movie. Writing, visuals, visual effects, sound design, music, 
even down to the 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 music in the closing credits, mm-hmm. which was this incredible juxtaposition between a really, really beautiful song and the frenetic intensity of. I, usually, I I will listen through the credits. Uh-huh. Again, it was after eleven o'clock last night. I'm like, <laughs> I, I got to stop. I can't keep listening to this song. And it's not like it was over the top. It was perfect for the movie. But it's like I gotta come down off this trip right now. <laughs> like, I, you know, it, it I mean, I, I either gotta like pop six Benadryl or I need to watch some Bake Off, and I, I chose to watch Bake Off. Yeah, you know? yeah, it's just a cool, cool movie, and it's intense, um, but a, a good intensity, and it never, it never strays too far into like, like this is the kind of movie that I could show to a good number of people too, um, like. It, Unlike train spotting, where I'd have to really know the person to be like, yeah, you should watch train spotting, right? Because there's moments in train spotting that are just like, I don't, I, I, I can go the rest of my life not seeing again and I'll be fine. Um, but this movie doesn't really have a whole lot of that outside of the scene with Trey where they find Trey. That one's a little rough. Um, but, but on the whole, this is a, a movie that's from a, you know, language violence type of uh stature it is it is very accessible um and I, I appreciate that about a movie too like to have the the themes and the things going on and and the subtext that's happening and not have to go over the top and we don't need a yes. bunch of gore it could have you could have very easily had a lot more um visceral horror in this and it work but they didn't go that route they kept it uh, the same movie throughout, and I I really really like that. So it's definitely worth checking out. Yeah, for I, sure. There isn't really much that takes it from a PG thirteen to an R. There really isn't. I mean, I no, I would no. never I would not have a heart, a, a problem at all with yeah. You know, obviously, my daughter's fourteen, but still, you know, having her watch this, this would not be an issue a, at all for me to you know to have her watch this. I would scare the crap out of her, of course, but. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. I, I wouldn't have a problem with this. That's one thing. Like, I would love, I would love to watch Blade Runner twenty forty nine with my daughter. However, you know, there is the whole, you know, nudity aspect, which is not much. It's not gratuitous. It's not over the top. It's just like this is uncomfortable. I don't need to be sitting in the room with my fourteen year old daughter and having her see the, uh, you know, the the interactive two hundred foot billboard, uh, right? Telling telling Kay that he's a nice Joe, you know. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it's, there's no reason, honestly, not to see this movie. Even if you don't like scary movies, like I say, like, oh man, it's terrifying. You've heard me say that a few times. It really isn't. It's not, not a horror movie. It's It's not. It's just, it's intensity. It's, it's a, it's a tension. It's a tension that is constantly ratcheting up and, and, and it makes sense given what they're doing in the movie where they're just moving closer and closer to the sun to drop a bomb, essentially a bomb on the sun and then go home. Yeah. Uh, so it makes, it makes perfect sense that way, but yeah, totally 100% worth seeing. Um, I don't, it's not my favorite Danny Boyle movie, but it's, it's one of my favorites of his because of that accessibility and, um, rewatchability. Like I have an easier, I will have an easier time rewatching sun, uh, sunshine down the road than I would going back and watching train spotting. I think, I think Train Spotting might be his better a better movie from him in some okay. ways. 
but it's also harder to watch. It's like saying I want to go and rewatch. It's a hard movie to watch. It's like saying yeah. I want to rewatch 127 hours. Not really, but it's fan- It's a fantastic right. movie. So it, yes, yes. That's that's yes. Danny Boyle. It's, it's, He's good at that. <laughs> right. It's a movie. It's one of those like you you have to watch it. It's important to watch it. But do I have to watch it again? Right. Yeah. That's exactly. another, yeah. It's yeah yeah because yeah train spotting's a great a great example of that. Um, I I honestly I think this might be my favorite Danny Boyle movie now. I have to admit I haven't watched a lot of them. I mean really the one train spotting. 28 days and weeks the beach and this i don't know that i've watched anything else by him i have to look at his full list i'm thinking that might be it oh i haven't seen slumdog millionaire mm. that yeah, is one Ace brought that up i have to i have to admit i haven't watched that i feel like i i've watched the office so many times that uh michael's skit uh at the company picnic oh. <laughs> Yeah, that may you know I kind of understand. I, mean, I don't obviously that doesn't say at all what the movie's about, but mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, I haven't seen it. I need to though. Well, uh, you know, now we've got uh, fodder to have you back on. Yeah, apparently so. we're watching Slumdog Millionaire for next week, <laughs> yeah, according to the chat. So. <laughs> uh, Ace, Ace is doing my booking again. I see. <laughs> um, so what? Uh, what's kind of st- what stuff have you been working on recently? Um, that you can tell people about anything. Sadly, sadly, not much. I, no? I, yeah, no, sadly, not much. I, I really, I need to, I think I was even talking about it the last show. Uh, I got a couple things on the, on the burner with, uh, with some, uh, some America's Next Stop podcaster alumni, uh, got a couple projects working with, with two of my, uh, buddies that, um, that I met through the show. Hopefully we can get those off the ground soon. Um, yeah, that's about it. Unfortunately, uh, it's been a rough winter. Yeah. <laughs> rough, heard- rough winter. I've heard that from a few people. Well, hopefully that gets off the ground soon. Speaking of America's Next Top Podcaster, season four is happening soon. Uh, so yes, it is. Um, they have finally closed, uh, taking in new applicants. Uh, but yes, I will be, I will be sure to let people know when that is starting up because uh, it is a great experience. We, uh, I was in it season is. two, you were in season three. Um, season three. Oh, that's actually something that I've been working on. I've been working on something with Bobby Franks. Uh, we are developing a uh, like a primer packet for uh, the contestants. Oh, excellent! Um, yeah, yeah. Because I mean, it's it's an intense process, mm-hmm. and you are thrown into it. And we were hoping to kind of <laughs> cushion the landing a little bit. A little bit. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yes, that's a good way to put it. Cushion the landing. I like yeah. that. Yeah, I was going to see stuff in the blow. Cushion the landing is actually a better way to because to put that because yeah we definitely all like first three seasons we were just dropped into it and there you go <laughs> trial by fire well trial by fire <laughs> yeah Amy can say that because she won the whole thing so that's, exactly yeah. that's season one winner right there Danny Ora Amy Frost mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah nah, these these kids today have it easier than we did that's all did. there is to yeah. it yeah yeah I mean up uh, you know uphill both ways <laughs> no shoes in the yeah. snow. <laughs> In the snow. Sandals in the coolant yep. tank. You know. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yep. I'm not gonna let that one go. Like that was that was a crazy, crazy moment to see him because I had completely sandals in the coolant tank. The, the sandals in the coolant tank just yeesh. Um I almost wonder if some of if there was a little bit of the abyss in, in terms of um a, any kind of um DNA could, there. Just I like could the, see that the, a little. the cold which by the way that's something I meant to say is the, I mean, the whole movie was 
fire and ice. And very mm-hmm. elemental. There was death by yeah. fire. There was death by ice. Um, you know, the dust even, like the, you know, very yeah. elemental in that aspect. Really love that. Yeah, I did too. Yeah. <sighs> Just makes me want to watch it again. I got to wait like a week or so. Speaking of a week, uh, a week from today, uh, next episode, I got the go- the boys from the Cheap Seat Reviews are coming on. And apparently none of them have seen it, and I haven't either. We're going to watch Nobody, and I'm looking forward to that because I'm excited. Uh, it is Bob Odenkirk uh, as apparently a former special ops guy. I don't know. I, all I know is he's in it, and it's sort of the trailer reminded me a bit of like uh, it's it's in that vein of like Taken types of movies, but something along right. the lines. But it's Bob Odenkirk. And I've heard such good things about it, so I can't wait to watch it. That's what we're watching for it next week. It sounds familiar. It just came out. It's uh, just last okay. year. It'll be the most recent movie I've covered uh, okay. on the show. Uh, oh, I'm, the most recent one. Oh, that's fun. Yeah, so I'm, I'm looking forward to that. So that's what's happening next week. Uh, and then uh, after that, I've actually got Hammond Chamberlain's going to come on. Uh, we're gonna, I'm going to show him Clerks because he's never seen it. He let that he let that slip on an episode of Soundography, and I immediately got a hold of him. Like, hey, pounced, pounced, yes, yes, I did. So that's what's coming up in the next couple of weeks here. Um, If you want to be, and you need to make him watch the animated show. (laughs) Yes, oh, that's a good one. Uh, Most people forget that that exists. By the way, yeah, and and it was it wasn't on for very long, but I enjoyed it. Like it was a well well done uh, animated adaptation. From what I remember, anyway. Um, but if you want yeah, to, it's uh, been a while. Yeah, if you want to, if you want to hang out in the chat room when I record, which is usually Sunday nights, eight p.m. Eastern time, you can be like Ace, uh, Danny Ora, Sirnex is in there tonight. Um, go to Twitch.tv/tv's Travis. Uh, Sunday nights, eight p.m. I'm usually doing this show. Uh, Tuesday nights, I record. Let's watch Highlander with Audie Norman, uh, where we're we are in the middle of season four of Highlander. The series, that's always fun. And I, I also do occasional game streams where uh, I yell at dragons and throw fireballs around playing Skyrim. All sorts of fun stuff. So that's twitch.tv slash TV's Travis. Um, and uh, you can find me on Twitter at TV's Travis as well. Uh, and are, You're on Twitter, right? I am, yes, at Vincent Minucci. All right. And uh, definitely give a follow, and I look forward to uh, what you end up coming up with with your uh, season three compatriot or compatriots uh, you got working yes. down the pipeline. So uh, I'm excited to hear Audi about that. Is one, yeah, Audi, and okay. Dusty the other. Excellent, yeah. excellent. Uh, all right. So until next week, uh, when I watch Nobody for the first time, what I wanted to say to everybody is enjoy your movies. We're coming out of winter, we're getting into spring, so let's be excellent to each other. This has been Wait You Haven't Seen. Split up. I'm not sure that's such a good idea. You're probably right. Might get picked off one at a time by aliens. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs>